Hello and welcome to Keanu Club, like a cool breeze over the mountains. This is episode 53, Thumbsucker, from 2005. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. With us today, very special guest, Jordan Poland-Clark. Hello, Jordan. Hey, guys. You'll be back in just a couple episodes for a Scanner Darkly. You haven't been on in a while, I don't think, but you're going to be on a couple real quick here. So it's really exciting. I'm excited. Skinner Darkly was my number one choice. It sure was. This was not in the original 10. We'll get to this in a second. But as we mentioned on the last episode, the documentary we did with Kara, we were skipping a few things that we had originally planned. And between Keanu Reeves' Journey to Success, unauthorized documentary, and Thumbsucker, we skipped two things. We skipped Discovering Buddhism, which is either a six or a 12 hour documentary, which we're just not going to do, and which Mike didn't watch. And then we skipped Ellie Parker, which is an actual movie starring Naomi Watts, where Keanu sort of reprises his dog star role. But Mike, you did watch that, right? So if you want to give us a, a review in 60 seconds. I'll give you a quick one. It's basically a day or two in the life of a struggling actress in Hollywood. And it's played by Naomi Watts, who's, I think, she's really great in it. I actually ended up really liking this movie. It was a big surprise. It's shot on DV, digital video, so it doesn't look like film, but that really didn't bother me. It seems to be sort of like along the lines of like a Dogma type film, like a Dogma 95 thing, like everything just feels like stolen shots and picked up things that were just already there. And yes, at one point, she's invited to go see this guy's friend's band, and the band is, in fact, Dogstar. And there's a very quick interaction backstage where she's trying to talk to Keanu, but he's kind of blowing everybody off. He's not just blowing her off, he just sort of just doesn't seem like he wants to interact with the fans or anything. So that is basically Ellie Parker. No reason to really watch it. He's basically in it as much as that movie me and Will just in a different part where he was in the beginning of that movie he's somewhat closer towards the end of this movie but that's it in a nutshell I was looking forward to it because the cover is kind of cool and I like Naomi Watts and then we were going through it and he was either really like lowly credited or just credited as dog star I was like oh boy like this is not one that we're going to want to do so I'm glad you took one for the team we could skip that and get to a movie that he's in a little I mean it's not a huge role in this but he's in it more than he was in that I'm sure Oh, yeah, most definitely. At least this is at least as good as it gets amount of screen time, right? And similar to that in in certain ways, which we will get into. Oh, yeah. Uh, Yeah, we're sort of in the the doctor realm. (laughs) Was he a doctor in that movie, too? (laughs) He was a doctor in that. He was a perfect man in that. He was basically what every woman would aspire to wanting. He was this handsome, kind, gentle, forgiving, understanding, rich, whatever. Like, throw an accolade in the air and, like, it applies to him in that movie. Here, it's kind of an interesting blend of him as doctor mode from Something's Gotta Give and kind of philosophy mode from Matrix and Little Buddha. Like, this almost feels like a a season finale of Keanu Club because this is so many of those different things that at least we've been doing lately kind of wrapped into one. Yeah, I definitely got the orthodontist who saw The Matrix too many times trying to relate to his younger patients, maybe, or just that new wave type hippie guru 
author dentist thing going on with him. But yeah, it's kind of funny how many facets sort of converge here in this small movie. I mean, we even have D'Onofrio back, who played his brother once in the passable Stealing Minnesota. Was that no, it? Stealing like, yeah, Minnesota? Yeah. Feeling Minnesota. Feeling Minnesota. Man, you are okay. struggling with remembering names of things tonight. <laughs> and then it's a pre-union with Tilda for Constantine. You got it. So this movie is directed by Mike Mills, who this year or last year, depending on where you live, he had the movie 20th Century Women come out. He also did Beginners six years ago. This is... Keanu's only time that he works with him. This is a movie, and I think we should get into this right now. We started talking about this before we recorded. Mike and Jordan did not like this movie. I That's not... I have way more to say than that. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. I kind of sort of like this movie. I wanted to like it more than I did. I can see in this movie the things that I really, really like about his more recent movies, but it's just, it's a little slow and boring and artsy. And I was also thinking while I was watching this that it's kind of disappointing that of all the Keanu movies that we've watched that I'd never heard of, this is still up near the top of my favorite new movies because we just haven't had much success in my eyes in terms of the things I've never heard of. And I didn't know this one. I didn't know he was in it. And I kind of like it a lot more than a lot of the other things we've been doing lately and maybe it's just me being kind to it i don't know but i didn't hate this movie it's an easy movie to be kind to i think so i was like pretty i don't want to use the word excited but i i saw the cast of this movie and i was like okay i'm gonna be okay with this movie and i watched it in two parts actually i watched the first 45 minutes one night and hated it but i thought hard about why i was hating it and i needed to take a break so i took a break from it and i thought about it for like 24 hours and then i watched the second half and i liked the second half a lot better after i had thought about what the movie was trying to be i and i don't think it does a good job i think if i read the script i would really like this movie and i think that if i read the book i would really like this story but the movie spent too much time being either a music video or something that like resembled a parody of an indie movie. I also didn't love this, but I also kind of wanted to. I, I feel like there's good things here. There's stuff I do like. I feel like it's really well shot. I feel like there's pretty good performances out of most of the cast. And I was excited too because I, I love 20th Century Women this year. I thought that was a great movie. And I loved Beginners with Ewan McGregor. I thought that was a great movie. So I was excited that we were getting this director, this filmmaker, that we were getting one of his films I didn't know about. And I think there's good stuff here, but it's not represented. Like, I feel the flaws of book adaptation again that I haven't felt for a while. We haven't really had that as a point of discussion recently, but this kind of meanders and I never really feel like it ever catches a groove. It, it sort of sets things up that don't become important and then later on I feel like there's payoff for things I wasn't aware I should be concerned about. So I wasn't really with this one all the way. I also found that this was a really hard movie to take notes on, partially because I really mostly want to take notes on Keanu and he's not in this a lot, but because, like you said, it meanders 
I'm not sure what's important. I don't really know what to make note of. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what in here I should be paying special attention to that's ultimately going to pay off and what is just sort of a day in the life of him in his family where his parents don't want to be parents and he, you know, he's sort of forced into this weird in-between role and all he wants to do is, you know, make out with his friend or whatever. I really do wonder if this is the type of movie that once you know what pays off, if it's more enjoyable the second time around or if it's going to make it seem extra slow because the stuff that doesn't pay off will make itself feel even longer. Most of my notes were just me being like, I hate these people. Oh, they're kind of better now. Oh, I'm mad at this movie. Like, I hate this music. Like, I felt the same way where, like, I didn't really know what to say about this movie. It got a little bit easier when I stopped for a while and thought about what the movie was supposed to be about. But yeah, I mean, I felt pretty similarly where I was just like, what is this and where is it going? And like, why do I care? I'm with you there, too. I think it's okay to have a movie about a teenager who's angsty and can't understand the world and figure it out. And you can do a movie that doesn't quite have a plot and get away with it but I feel like here there's too much plot almost or like there's too many things going on it it would have been fine if it was just the antisocial kid who found a girl that he could relate to and that would understand him and want him to try and open him up I would have been fine if that was the whole movie but then he gets into taking like Ritalin and going on the debate team and I'm like okay so then that's what the movie's about but it's only about that for another half hour and then he goes off his meds and it's about he thinks his mom is cheating on his dad you know so like it just it keeps picking up and dropping off throughout the movie I just I I can't stay engaged with it the way I want to. I feel like what, like, this movie should have maybe been more of, like, an ensemble movie, because once you get into the details of the lives of the adults that are around him, it's interesting. This is, like, skipping way ahead to, like, the end of the movie, but when Tilda Swinton sticks her hand up that guy's ass, you're like, oh, she has a life outside of this, you know? That was interesting. She was so flat the whole movie, and then it was like, oh, this is what her life is, and we had no idea of that. And I think the same could be said about all of the adults in the movie. Like, obviously, Keanu went through this, like, transformation throughout the movie. He started as this, like, hippy-dippy orthodontist giving weird life advice to a kid. And then we meet him again later and he's all cleaned up. And I think every adult in that the movie kind of goes through that journey. But it's through the eyes. Like, we see it through the eyes of this dumb kid who's like going through his own stuff right and that really is not the right way to see it but it's kind of the way you have to see it because i feel like if you saw this from anybody else's perspective kiana wouldn't be nearly as radical or as cool of an orthodontist he's kind of the only adult that this kid connects to right and so he doesn't really connect with his parents vince vaughn is kind of hit or miss it sort of depends on what his mood is like and so i think in that regard it works. I mean, it doesn't make the film more interesting, but at least there's a reason why everybody's kind of lame or boring or one note or, you know, so one-dimensional that the most we ever see of Tilda Swinton until the very end is her excited about a contest or trying on dresses, because that's all he sees his mom do. It's not like he follows her to work or, you know what I mean? It's just, I understand why it's like that, and I appreciate that. It just doesn't necessarily make for an interesting movie. You think he connected with the Keanu character? Because I, I think didn't. he, I think he did. 
Hmm. That's, that wasn't my take on it. Maybe I was just like personally really kind of put off by how this orthodontist was Im- immediately talking to this kid. That was like a general problem I had with this movie is that nobody talked like a real person and like not in a fun way, in a kind of weird way that was totally unbelievable and also not interesting. So like maybe I was put off by that so I missed whatever relationship because I guess they had had a previous relationship right like the first time we see him go to the orthodontist that's not the first time he's going right no like the idea is he's fixed his teeth throughout his entire life because the kid is a thumb sucker he's like I've fixed your teeth I won't be having it anymore and so he does like the the hypnosis thing at one point which was which was kind of fun sense of peace like a white light fills your body. Imagine the white light filling your feet, then your legs, then your torso, then your head. Imagine you're on a path. You're deep in the forest. A shaft of light illuminates a wild animal. This is your power animal. See it. Study it. When you feel like sucking your thumb, I want you to call on your power animal. Call it now. Come here. Do it in your mind. Whenever you feel afraid, alone, call on your power animal. You're not alone. You're not afraid. You don't need your thumb. And your thumb doesn't need you. I feel like the kid feels like this is a guy I can relate to until he feels betrayed by him. And then it's just like, oh, he's just like every other adult. Like, he doesn't really want to help me. He wants to help himself. He wants to make himself feel better by helping someone else. I just thought that's sort of what I was getting at. But it's tough because we're seeing the life through the eyes of this kid that I also don't really like. Like that's the, He's not likable. I feel like that's a problem. And I don't feel like the movie isn't trying to make him likable. Maybe it's the actor. Maybe I was just, I kept getting him mistaken for Paul Dano, who would have just rocked this role to shreds, I feel. But it, it is hard to figure out what's going on with this kid when, like Jordan said earlier, we don't even have like a clear picture of the supporting cast so much. Not even Tilda, but D'Onofrio. There's all this sort of talk about how he was a failed football hero and now he works at a sporting goods store, but they don't explore that in any sort of meaningful way and it's all sort of there. Like you can just have the kid walking through the sporting goods store one day and I feel like that scene would say a lot in a movie like this just to have him at least at his dad's place of work. And it's tough because most of the major changes do take place off screen with those characters. So it's like they feel disjointed when they're reintroduced back into the narrative, you know, because maybe they have changed so much or they're just they're not acting the way they used to. And I also agree that these people don't really talk a lot like real people. The parent thing, right? Like the parents don't like to be called mom and dad because it makes them feel old. But I almost thought that Tilda was like a stepmom the way she was talking to her son. Or, or almost like an like older that. sister kind of mm-hmm. in, in a way, yeah. Yeah, and maybe even D'Onofrio was like an uncle. Like that's really, that was also a step too far. Like maybe that's all in the book, but that all feels sort of unnecessary when you're dealing with the feature film. I feel like you could get 
those things across visually and you don't have to dive that deep with it verbally. So two things that I read about the casting, and I really wonder if putting someone else in this lead role would have made a difference, and probably, I mean, I think Paul Dana would have been good. So one problem, I think, is that the director, Mike Mills, saw over 100 actors to find the lead role. He finally settled on Lou Taylor Pucci. That's a lot. I think I feel like that's a lot of people. Like, that just seems that either he didn't really know what he was looking for, maybe, or nobody who read the script really knew how to capture it. Like, I feel like there's some kind of disconnect there, and whether it's him, uh, like, the director's inability to articulate it, or people just not really knowing how to play this role, I think it is a difficult role to play. I don't know how you'd really do it better, but there's a struggle there. And the other thing is that Scarlett Johansson was originally cast in the apple of his eye role, but then she had to drop out due to last-minute conflict, and so they added in Kelly Garner. I was watching this movie kind of with Scarlett Johansson in mind. I think she could have been great in that role. I mean, that girl who's in that role, I think, is really good. It's strange to see, like, almost two of maybe the two most important characters in this movie, you know, either had trouble being cast or had a last minute change. Yeah, I feel like Mike said that he didn't like the lead character. And I feel like I couldn't have any feelings at all about the lead character. Like he was so flat and so unknowable that I just couldn't feel anything about him at all. And I actually felt that way about most of the characters. They were just like completely unknowable until maybe the end. I mean, I think you get a sense of who Tilda is. I think you kind of get a sense of who Vince Vaughn is. You get a sense of who Not Girlfriend is. You don't get a real deep look into them, but I think that's also partially because, and again, this is what we're going back to before, because the main character is so, in a way, self-centered and focused on what he wants to be focused on that, like, the movie doesn't take time to dive into any of them because it's so focused on showing him. But I think on the flip side, kind of, too, like, they are also so into themselves that none of them appeared to really have a strong relationship with each other because they all really just seem wrapped up in their own stuff and their own feelings and their own insecurities, like the kid included. Well, he's supposed to be like that. He's a teenager. I guess it's also for me that they also never really connect with each other in a negative way or a positive way like it's all just like very like they're each their own entities you know like floating around near each other it's a tough one it almost made me wonder do you want to make this movie like is this the kind of book that you can adapt like was this book just unfilmable is there just a lot of introspective inner dialogue going on in the novel that they don't express in voiceover i mean god could you imagine if there was voiceover in this movie at least i'm thankful that's not here but i just feel like for this story there's too much to get across and none of it is coming across for me i think the parents are a good example i kept wondering what is going on with d'onofrio what is up with him what is it can't just be that football incident from high school or college or whatever what is going on with that guy we never get to the bottom of any of it we never even get to the bottom of why this kid is sucking his thumb the main the big looming question of the movie is like why is this kid a thumb sucker and we never find out i think we kind of i think we kind of do though well i don't feel like it came across in a way that it was sort of revelatory or that there was like this is what the movie's been building towards where i almost feel like that would have been a better movie if this movie was just structured more traditionally. Like, I'm not trying to defend the movie, but I'm just trying to create conversation here. But, like, life isn't that 
cut and dry. Like you never have that one revelatory moment necessarily where you're like, oh, this is why my life is in shambles. It's more a combination of the fact that no girls ever kissed him. Both of his parents are self-obsessed. His teacher is self-obsessed and sort of weird and demanding of him. He's got looming college pressures. It's all these like things that normally like a high school kid has to deal with and they're all beating down on him. And I mean, I think that if we went more into his past and saw, you know, him over the years sucking his thumb and like not past trauma necessarily, but past struggles or depressions or whatever, that could have been something. But I don't think you necessarily need this huge aha moment. I think that there's the pressures of the world just beating down on this kid, and this is the way that he copes. I agree with that, but I do think it would have been maybe nice to see the way his thumb-sucking affected his life for his whole life, because, like, aside from Keanu yelling at him about his teeth and his dad getting mad at him once, I didn't even really get the feeling that the thumb sucking was like a huge problem that was affecting his life because there's like a whole part of the movie for like a while when he doesn't even do it at all he doesn't seem that upset about it he doesn't even really seem that upset about anything that's happening like he seems like he's okay i don't know (laughs) yeah and i suppose i just was looking for maybe a breakthrough moment you know it didn't necessarily need to be huge but this movie felt like it was calling for that and there's even a moment at the very end that feels like it's a forced version of what I'm kind of talking about halfway through the movie when he lies to the admissions office to get into college and then just like gets in without any sort of repercussions you know no one finds out that he lied but the last shot of the movie is this celebratory running through New York City shot and that's right that comes right after him like sucking his thumb on the plane and all this kind of but I'm just saying like I I almost felt like that moment needed to I like the last shot of the movie needed to be him not even realizing oh I'm sucking my thumb again on the plane and I'm okay with this girl next to me seeing that like I'm not hiding who I am anymore anything I don't understand why they cut to this shot of him running through the streets of the city maybe to express his freedom but it just felt awkward at that moment it felt off point and it was like I was already trying to reestablish where I was when I was like oh yes he's a he's a thumb sucker like the title of the movie that's right he, he hasn't been doing that for a while okay it, it's coming back around and ending on that so uh, that must be an important thing that plane thing was also weird yeah how he was gonna be a broadcaster all of a sudden Keanu mentions that one dentist appointment is like when you were a kid you used to like do all those funny voices and then so suddenly he's got dreams of being on the news as a no they said earlier in the movie that he wanted to be a video journalist he wanted to be that's what they, they made they made they set that up earlier okay they definitely didn't like establish it well enough that's I think that's something I brought up earlier it's just you know lots of things were set up and many things were sort of forgotten about until the very end when they needed to be remembered the reason I remember it is because it's something close enough to what I wanted to do. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, I kind of relate to that. But yeah, I, I agree that it wasn't this thing that was really played throughout, but it was mentioned earlier. And then Keanu does the thing. But by that point, you're like, oh, because he also applies to, or maybe it was just in this letter to NYU. He's like, I want to become a TV journalist because that's what that's what it was. Because he's like, my parents you know, suffer from mental illness, which is not necessarily untrue, but it's a strong <laughs> exaggeration. Like he wants to tell it how it is. That's how he wants to be a 
TV journalist. And so he sets that up in his application letter. And then Keanu mentions that thing. And I guess that's the second thing where just like, oh, I guess this is something that's been with him all of his life. If this is what he wants to do and he's always been like that. And then at the end, you know, he sees himself on the TV. That whole dream sequence is weird. Him on the plane is weird. The last shot is weird. But I think it kind of works. I mean, I don't understand necessarily the running at the end, but I think finally the acceptance of who he is, being a thumbsucker about to go off to college at a really nice school to become what he wants to be, I think that worked. I wish the little brother was in this more. I liked him. Did you? Yeah, I did. He said he said my favorite thing in the whole movie. Which was? What does a vagina feel like? No, no, not that. <laughs> he said, do you ever think you're so busy being weird that I have to just step up and be normal? Which, like, was a really good line for, like, a little brother. I liked it. That kid is the perfect example, I feel, of the flaws of this movie, though. It's like he had a little brother, and he wasn't even in the movie. And, and if that is supposed to be an expression of who this main character is, I really I don't like this kid. <laughs> He's a kid that ignores his younger brother and doesn't even play with him or give him advice or be an older brother or any of that kind of stuff. So he's just losing more points. I'm looking through my notes now, looking for things, and I don't even have, like, conversation starters in here. I have, like, Keanu trying to be philosophical a little bit, like, all of us carry a certain weight, a weight we don't recognize. Justin, do they teach you about the subconscious at school? A little. Ever heard of subconscious pressure? Involuntary behaviors? Like a serial killer? Perhaps. Justin, all of us carry a certain weight a weight we don't recognize some of us have heavy loads in our minds yeah a force from inside we don't know its name but it makes us do things things we don't like to admit did you guys realize, because we, we see Keanu the first time, we see him from his back, and then we kind of hear his voice, and then we see him, I was like, oh, it's Keanu, so I rewound it. But even when I just heard his voice, it doesn't necessarily fully sound like him. I was thrown off. Like I wasn't sure what role he played in this, but I was a little caught off guard when he showed on screen. Maybe I'm just not assuming for him to be a dentist, but I guess after something's got to give, anything goes. I felt like he was, like, too much himself. You know, he kind of has that thing where, like, no matter what you plug him into, he's the same. Right. Like, it really, really works in some things. It really, really works in The Matrix. He has a weird way of moving. He has a weird way of talking. But when you plug him into this and he's doing that, it really, really doesn't work. And also when he's talking like he's in a different movie. It's funny. I couldn't buy him as an orthodontist in this the way that I bought him as a doctor and something's got to give. Uh, <laughs> like, I actually bought him in that movie. I was like, okay, I could, yeah, I, I get, he's, he's pulling this off. He's like this sort of beach town doctor for the rich. And in this movie, I just don't, I don't get, like, he doesn't feel in character to me as an orthodontist. Like, first what was really throwing me was the long hair, because I don't, I mean, none of my dentists or orthodontists <laughs> has ever had long hair. Like, it feels like a health hazard to me. I was like, that there doesn't feel like he did any prep or was, you know, taking this too seriously. So I was taking issues with that. But I actually kind of enjoyed the idea of that character, that you sort of have this homeopathic guy who's working within the medical world you know that's kind of interesting right he's an orthodontist but he also is like a hypnotist and tell you to go get some john warts or something like that 
St. Wart's. What is it? St. Wart's? John Wart's? St. John's Wart's. I have no idea. St. John's Wart's. St. John's Wart's. <laughs> all right. So it's all, all that and then some. So, yeah, like I do like the idea of the character. I feel it's like something Keanu could have pulled off, but we only get him on screen like four times for less than like two or three minutes at a piece, right? <laughs> so we never even really fully come to understand who he is as a character. I feel like when he was being an orthodontist, it was like he was being an orthodontist for Halloween. <laughs> we're like, they were like, great, put on this coat, put on those gloves. And then he like touched the kid's mouth one time and then gave monologues for the rest of the, like, he, I didn't believe him as an orthodontist because he never acted like an orthodontist once. Well, as someone who's had a life of orthodontistry and dentistry from all sorts of things with my teeth, I feel like you have like hygienists who come in and do most of the work and then he comes in, at least with my dentist, my dentist would come in and just like sort of like poke around for like two minutes and then talk for ten. Like, I, it feels real. Like, that felt real to me. I disagree there. Because there's like, oh yeah, like I got nothing to do. Like, they're doing all my work. I'm just here in case, you know, I need to be the heavy hitter. I need to do the surgery or whatever. But in the meantime, they already told me what I need to know. Let's just talk about your feelings. Like, I, knew, I was never hypnotized by my dentist that I know of. I never had like a, a change of heart. I never inspired, like I never chased my dentist off the road with pictures of wolves crossed out. Like, that's crazy. I don't know exactly what happened. Like, I don't know. That's all insane. Um, I never had that kind of relationship with any of my dentists or orthodontists, but I mean, it's exaggerated because it is through the eyes of this high schooler. That kind of feels real-ish. Well, I, I see what you're saying. And I guess like maybe it's like part of my problem with the whole movie, which is that like it wasn't really like authentic or realistic because like there was nobody else working at this orthodontist place. It's not like we know some nurse came in before, you know, like he would just walk in the door and Keanu would be like, hey, come on in. Like no one else was there. So it wasn't authentic or realistic enough for me to be like, yes, this is, I believe this. But it also wasn't fantastical enough for me to go into whatever world I was supposed to be in instead. Yeah, I think they wanted to sort of go high style with it, but it didn't go far enough, right? Like he wants, the movie wants to use sort of film language and mise-en-scene to put you inside this kid's mind or his state of mind. So maybe there's no one in the doctor's office because he doesn't recognize anyone but himself right like there's people there but he can't see them you know that would have been cool if we were clued into that early on somehow in a hyper realistic way some kind of exaggerated way some kind of really far out stylized clue to let us know like this isn't going to be depicted as quote-unquote reality the way we know it uh is that we are inside the mind of this kid and that's something like, you know, use film to do that with movies is to express people's state of mind visually. And they, that's something it seems like they were trying to go for, but dropped the ball because it was just like it was too antiseptic almost. It almost didn't feel tactile. It, everything just felt a little too stiff and clean for my taste for the story they were telling. Yeah, I can't argue with that. I'm trying to think if I have anything else to say about this. I don't know that I do. The only other thing that I have in my notes, which was my other favorite quote that made me laugh so hard, which is when Keanu hypnotized him and then he he hypnotized him not to want to suck his thumb. And Keanu said, from now on, your thumb will taste like echinacea. From now on, your thumb will taste like echinacea. I laughed so hard. I had to Google that because I was like, I don't know what that is. I also I learned how to spell echinacea. Well, I'm from Vermont, so I know what it is. And it was just like, it could have been anything. And that's 
what it was. I kind of thought it was so weird. Speaking of it could have been anything, do you guys know, maybe I just missed it. I had to look up where it was because he winds up at NYU. Do you know what, do you guys know where this movie takes place? I assumed it was California. I just don't know why. I just assumed it. I did also, and I don't know why. (laughs) It's Portland, but I don't, like, there's nothing Portlandy about this. Portlandia. There's nothing, there's there's no sense of place at all. No, and there's no sense of time really either. What time period do you guys think this movie took place in? Right, like, that's like a how, good question. It could have been like a few days or months. Yeah, you could say the same thing about kind of what year this takes place. There's nothing big that really gives this away as regarding the actual year. I mean, maybe the cars, but for the most part, I don't. I didn't see any cell phones or technology that called it out. Yeah, maybe, I guess that's kind of the point too though, right? It could be any anyone at any time in the situation. I really wonder if this is a movie that would play better, not only if you rewatch it, but if you are 16, 17, 18. Probably, right? Probably. Like, I don't, I also think if we were watching this, like, when we were 16, like, we wouldn't, we would relate to him better, probably. And we also wouldn't be thinking this hard about it, which may, might help. I just think about the movies I was watching when I was like 15, 16, and it was Clockwork Orange. <laughs> you know, like that, that I feel is my equivalent to this. That was my teenage high school dysfunctional film. That and Taxi Driver. I hated the music in this. Oh, I loved it. I loved I Elliot knew, Smith. I, knew, I loved all of I it. I knew you would say that. <laughs> well, you you knew me the Halloween that I was Elliot Smith, or not Halloween, or whatever that I was. I do not remember that. <laughs> when were you Elliot Smith? Was that like Smith? a fancy dress party? Christian Larson, co-host of Monkey Club, he had a party one time where it was dress up as a musician. And Steve Payson, who was our guest on the Grindhouse episode of Cage Club, dressed as Lemmy, kind of. Like, he went to the mall and spent like $100. I remember that. Other people who weren't on the network as other musicians. I was Elliot Smith. I got a black t-shirt. I got red paint, drew like a red blood splotch over my heart, and got a knife and just walked around stabbing myself in the heart all night. That was my costume. That said, I love Elliot Smith. I genuinely love his music. I mean, I think it works perfectly here. And I meant to mention that earlier, and I'm glad you brought that up, but I think it's perfect for exactly the tone that they want to show off and exactly the kid's state of mind. I agree about Elliot Smith, but who was, what was the other artist that was in this? Oh, I don't know. It was like the, like sort of like the, almost the children's gospel choir. Every, yeah, I feel like every other song was by the same artist, and I hated it. And it was more prominent than the Elliot Smith stuff. Well, the Elliot Smith stuff was throughout the movie. No, but so was the other stuff. I did see in the opening credits there was original music by somebody I didn't know, and I'm assuming that's the guy responsible for everything here. God, I hated it. When I say that it felt like a parody of a indie movie, like that was a big contributor for me. Like, it's just so, I feel like we're so past that. Like, we're making fun of that now. It really doesn't age well, that style for me. There was a post on either Deadspin or the Concourse or something last year about how they wished, this is all like sarcastic, they wished that every movie trailer had like an overly slow, overly dramatic cover of like another song, because it seems like in the last six months or a year or whatever, every movie trailer that we see has this like music chosen for it that's supposed to make it feel like super emotional and super impactful. And this, you're right, Jordan, it feels like that's the kind of music this is. What trailer was it where... Was 
was I think it was Social Network where yeah, they had yeah. the kids choir singing Creep. Yeah, right? that was Social. They, that was the first one to do it, and it's the same thing. Where like I liked that when it happened, and it doesn't really bother me that that's a thing. But every movie trailer can't do that. Then it doesn't work anymore. Like then it's over. Yeah, they just did that for a cure for wellness. They used I want to yeah. be sedated for, yeah. Yeah, for wellness. Yes, it is now. It is a trend, and thus so it is dead. I agree. Well, I think the real danger will be when it just they start using it in the actual movie. Like, I was glad that when I saw Cure for Wellness, like, that music didn't start playing over the radio at the hospital, right? Like, it may as well have. It couldn't have made that movie any worse. <laughs> They just blow it in the end. They just really couldn't stick they the did. landing to that movie whatsoever. Nope, that's very true. Next time on the Cure for Wellness podcast, where we watch it every week for a year. Do you <laughs> so have any other I comments went, about Thumbsucker? I just oh, went ahead. on a Wikipedia trip through the music. Oh for the, so Elliot Smith was supposed to do all of the music for this, and it was all covers, okay. and he died before it was done. Oh. So then the Polyphonic Spree took over, and... That must be the group that I hate, but I clicked on their Wikipedia, and they were started by a guy who was in Tripping Daisy, which is one of my favorite one-hit wonder bands. What song did they do? It was called I Got a Girl. Can you sing it for me? No. (laughs) Absolutely not. (laughs) Maybe I'll add a little clip. (laughs) Yes, please. I will wait the five weeks until this episode comes out to hear that song, so do me a favor, Mike. Put it in right here. I got a girl who speaks her mind I got a girl, she'll argue anytime I got a girl, she is so small I got a girl, she'll knock down any wall I know, and I need And I feel we're going higher and higher Well, I know, and I need And I feel we're going higher and higher That was awesome. Yeah, I love that song. (laughs) But George, you'll be back in two weeks for a movie that I remember really liking but haven't seen in a while. And I'm sort of nervous to see if I'm going to like it again. I think I will, but A Scanner Darkly. That's how I feel also. I saw it when it came out in theaters, and that's like probably the last time I saw it. Mike, any other thoughts about Thumbsucker? I just have one major connection that struck me halfway through this movie. So Hit us with it. So this movie is Thumbsuckers, where the boy is obsessed with sucking his thumb. And we had a movie a while back that Keanu was in uh, that goes by a little name of Even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Oh, wow, yeah, thumbs. In which Uma Thurman had two gigantic, freakish mutant thumbs that she used to magically hitchhike across the country. So, key action thumbs. So Cage has peaches, Keanu has thumbs. <laughs> well, Keanu, Cage has peaches and Keanu has hot dogs. Hot dogs is really um, good. I'd say Cage has, Cage has red sports cars and Keanu has thumbs. Yeah, I guess so. Oh, man. No, Keanu has motorcycles. It's a whole thing. We got to figure out what Cage's equivalent of the thumbs is. Yeah, but it's not fine. right now. <laughs> not right now. I'm, I, my, I, my, I am brain dead. This movie, I took, I took a little bit of a ten minute nap during this movie. I was like, I can't. Like Jordan took a day off in between. I was like, I need to just not watch this for a little bit. Like I wanted to like it so bad, and I don't know if not knowing who the director was before I started it would have helped or hurt. Because I feel like I was watching it through the eyes of 20th century women and beginners and trying to see that, and I think I did get something out of that. But I also had this like crazy hype built up that I'm like, oh, this guy made two amazing movies. I hope this one's great too. It almost as like the highs are a little bit higher and the lows are a little bit lower because of that. I watched it through the opposite lens because I have not seen either one of those movies. And Well, you should I know, because I know, you I know. love them both. I know. I yeah, believe you. They're great. 
Well, for all things Kiana Club, like Jordan's past episodes, and also to st- stay tuned for the episode coming out in two weeks, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cageclub. You can see all the episodes that we've done. You can see our other shows of the network. So we just had launch earlier this month, the Philip Seymour Hoffman podcast. P.S. I love Hoffman. So go to cageclub.me and facebook.com slash cageclub and see all the fun stuff that we have there in store for you. Follow us on Twitter at cageclubpod. We have a new Twitter. Go there. Do that thing. I'm Jimmy Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Jordan Poland Clark. And we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. Some are long to find themselves breaking out. Maybe it's enough to make them scream out loud. Fight along the way. Seems more than yesterday. From now on, your thumb will taste like echinacea.